Breakthrough News. It's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is the Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. Yes, indeed. We are back with you here. The Punch-Out! 1-8-2021, 8th of January, 2021. It's Friday. I'm sure a lot of people are very excited about that. We are very excited to be here with you on The Punch-Out!, but we're excited to be here with you on The Punch-Out!, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All sorts of things for you all around the world. The imperialist roots of a terrible massacre in Pakistan of 11 uh, Hazara miners. We're going to get into the realities behind their marginalization and their ongoing struggle. Also want to talk a little bit here about big gains won by the fight for 15, not only in the last year, but really since they started in 2012. I'm going to give you some numbers, just immense changes that have been waged by that movement of low-wage workers. But before we get to those two stories, we're going to start with the deepening social crisis for workers and oppressed people here in the United States. And that was the sound of the Kansas City Tenants Union blocking eviction court this week. You may remember they did that a couple times last year as well. It's part of their eviction-free January campaign to prevent evictions, which, as we pointed out to you earlier this week, are still going on all around the country despite a moratorium due to loopholes and exceptions. Always an exception. So if nothing else, this is just a huge reminder of the depth of the social crisis being faced by working class people in this country right now. First, unemployment claims of 2021 are out and they are bleak. As the Economic Policy Institute lays out, quote, 948,000 people applied for unemployment insurance benefits last week, including 787,000 people who applied for regular state unemployment and 161,000 who applied for pandemic unemployment assistance. The 948,000 who applied for unemployment last week was a decrease of 152,000 from the prior week, but that drop was driven almost entirely by a drop in the pandemic unemployment assistance claims, undoubtedly due to uncertainty over whether they would be extended, end quote. And worth noting here that the majority of jobs that have been lost during this crisis have been in industries that pay low average wages, with the lowest paying industries accounting for 30% of all jobs but 53% of jobs lost from February to November. Yeah, wow. Whew. And on that other note too, by the way, about the uh, pandemic unemployment insurance, since it was extended, it means that almost certainly these claims will go up again the next time we see it. This was the 42nd straight week that total initial claims were greater than the worst week of the Great Recession of 08-09. And the issue, of course, goes far beyond just unemployment, although certainly that's related to all of this. Nine million adults, that's 14% of all adults in the country, reported that their household sometimes or often didn't have enough to eat in the last seven days. In 2019, 
That number was 3.4% for the entire year. Wow. The Center for Budget and Policy Priorities lays out that 12 to 17% of adults with children reported that their children sometimes or often didn't eat enough in the last seven days because they couldn't afford it. Mm. Eight and 12 million, eight, between eight and 12 million children live in a household where children didn't eat enough because the household couldn't afford it. Mm. As many as 12 million children going hungry. By the end of December, nearly one in five renters were behind on rent. 26% of renters who were parents or otherwise lived with children reported they were not caught up on rent compared to 15% among adults not living with anyone under the age of 18. So you see families being hit very hard in this crisis. Nearly one in three children are living in a rental household that didn't have enough to eat. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> this is these numbers are going to continue to go on because the pandemic is continuing to go on. Thursday, which was notable because of everything that was, uh, or uh, Wednesday, I should say, which was notable given everything that was going on at the Capitol. The U.S. also set the record for the most COVID-19 deaths in one day ever. Again, the U.S. probably holds like the top five spots there. But nevertheless, it's just another sign that despite the vaccines being approved, still a lot more to happen in terms of this pandemic, which means the economic hardship is only going to continue to increase. And it seems like the lesson to take from that is just what the Kansas City Tenants Union did, is that there needs to be more struggle in more places. Hey, everybody. My name is Jacqueline Jorman. I live in Stone Mountain, Georgia, here in Georgia. Um, I'm going to vote because we need better wages, better benefits, and unions. So I want everyone to get out and vote for a new Senate. And whoever you know, let them know. So they can vote too. But we need better benefits, better wages. That $15 will make a difference for us. Well, as you heard, that was a voice from the Fight for 15 movement, which has massively changed this country for the better as we will get to. I wanted to start with that clip because I wanted to recognize how really incredible it is that an issue that just two years ago was shunned by most major politicians, even last year in 2019 or two years ago, Jesus, it's 2021, what am I doing here? Uh, even in 2019, Democrats in the House were struggling to agree on a $15 an hour minimum wage, but now even Joe Biden, the Centrist of all centrists, the nothing will fundamentally change guy is supporting it. I mean, that's a major, major shift there. And of course, as that clip will have you uh, uh, understanding, many low-wage workers went to the polls because they recognized the importance of the fight for 15 and are a part of that movement. Now, as of this week, all the various places that increased, or not all, but a number of the various places that increased the minimum wage last year have had that kick in. That's good news for 20 states and 32 cities and counties where this was the case, where in early January it would kick in. In 27 of those places, the minimum wage will reach $15 an hour. As the National Employment Law Project lays out, quote, the New Year's increase will be followed by another round of increases later in 2021 when five states and 18 localities will raise their minimum wage. 13 of them to $15 or more, or more. In total, 24 states and 50 cities and counties, a record high 74 jurisdictions will raise the minimum wage over the course of 2021. Now, obviously, 
The most notable one last year probably was that which we saw in the state of Florida, which despite going to Donald Trump, approved a $15 an hour minimum wage by a wide margin in a referendum vote there. And here's the real thing to note, the real stat that I really want you to remember. This is amazing. Since the movement for the Fight 15 movement began in 2012, the Fight for 15 has delivered $68 billion in wage increases to workers. $68 billion in wage increases to workers. You can't tell me that it doesn't pay to fight for your rights. Now, the struggle, of course, will continue, hopefully with the national $15 an hour minimum wage this year. But one other crucial area, of course, is around the tipped minimum wage and tipped workers. Now, many places do raise the minimum wage, but they don't do it for tipped workers. And even where they do do it, tipped workers often face a lot of uh, wage-related loopholes in labor laws. One was actually just finalized by the Trump administration uh, the so-called 80-20 rule. Uh, as the Economic Policy Institute explains here, tip workers had been protected by the very clear 80-20 rule, which says they can spend a maximum of 20% of their time on non-tipped duties while still being paid the sub-minimum wage for tipped workers. The new regulation for the Trump administration does away with this protection, replacing it with vague and much less protective language. In particular, the new regulation allows tip workers to be paid the sub-minimum tipped wage while performing an unlimited amount of non-tipped duties, as long as those non-tipped duties are performed contemporaneously with tipped duties or for a reasonable time immediately before or after performing the tipped duties. As I'm sure you understand, that basically means nothing other than they're going to make you work way more for way less. And pre-COVID, when the rule was first uh, brought out, the estimates at the time were that its implementation could result in $700 million in lost wages for tipped workers. Now, the Biden administration can push back the date for it to take effect. They can start the process for it to be repealed. But of course, none of that's a foregone conclusion at all. And the way the federal rules process takes place is designed to not be that easy to roll back anyway. And any changes will absolutely be challenged in court by employers. The fight for fair wages, however, or higher wages, I should say, uh, they're not necessarily all fair. Let's just be real about that. Even some of these higher minimum wages aren't a living wage. But the fight for fair wages and higher wages has already made quite a bit of progress for workers in this country. So whatever's going on in the White House, I think we can expect them to make some more. <laughs> Those were the sounds of a protest in Pakistan uh, held by the Hazara people to protest the brutal marginalization and oppression that they face, shown clearly in the recent murder of 11 Hazara minors by ISIS. The Hazara a Shia group with traditional homelands in Afghanistan and also Pakistan. These days, they have a very large concentration in Quetta, Pakistan, where they are almost entirely confined to... <laughs> I really don't know how else to describe them, but ghettos, really. I mean, they're trapped in these, these, these defended compounds, unable to move freely because of the extreme violence directed towards them. So rather than deal with the violence, they just push them into these, these compounds. Uh, Hazara have distinctive features in relation to others in physical features, I should say, in relation to others in Pakistan and Afghanistan, which means that they are very easily targeted. As Shia, they are aggressively targeted by these various militant groups that claim to be, let's just say that, that's important to understand, claim to be inspired by Sunni Islam like ISIS and others. I'd say they're perverting it, but 
You know, that's what they say. Some traditionally uh, that are non-ISIS, some of these groups are traditionally supported by the Pakistani government. Now, currently, the Hazar families of the 11 murdered miners are leaving the bodies unburied on the road. They're holding frequent protests. The road where they were murdered, that is. They're holding frequent protests saying that they won't move the bodies until the Prime Minister Imran Khan comes to meet them to hear their concerns. He's refusing to do that. He's saying that it's blackmail, and if he goes there, then everyone will make him do everything, so he's refusing to go. The other major parties in Pakistan are opportunistically attempting to use this issue to hit Imran Khan, but they don't have any better record on this issue anyway, and so just don't believe in that. The Hazar crisis, though, is deeply rooted in the politics of imperialism in the region. The Hazar have been sidelined in a big way in Afghanistan since the reign of the Iron Emir in the 1880s. However, in the late 1970s, there was a big change in Afghanistan. They got a socialist government, and that socialist government declared that people were equal and they were opposed to ethnic and sect-based tension. And the Hazara embraced this government for obvious reasons there. And it also, by the way, was a government that majorly promoted education and women's rights and all these other pieces. The Hazara played a big role in the army. The prime minister for most of the 80s was a Hazara person. They also embraced as a community the educational and socialist uh, social uplift programs bought by the socialist government, brought by. Not Blah, 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 blah. little confusion there. I think you understand what I'm saying. Nevertheless, the U.S. and Pakistan, blinded by Cold War imperialism, supported the other side on this one. Forces that, again, claimed to be motivated by Islam, but were really just pushing a reactionary social and economic agenda that sought to keep women enslaved and peasants under the thumb of landlords and traditional leaders. The overthrow of the socialist government led to serious persecution by the Taliban, uh, of the Hazara, pushing more of them into Pakistan, which conversely caused Taliban-like groups in Pakistan to increase their violence against the Hazara as well, and really pinning them in on both sides. And now ISIS has taken up that mantle. And of course, ISIS would not exist without the seemingly forever wars being waged by U.S. imperialism across West and Central Asia. So, Terrible situation for sure. Uh, the struggle of Hazara people for dignity and, and really not just that, just not to be shot down in the street for no reason uh, or no reason, no legitimate reason, I should say, is gathering major momentum. So even though it's a terrible, tragic situation, obviously they're standing up and fighting back in a big way that's shaking the country of Pakistan. And so for those who are watching in the United States, or for that matter, the West in general, just don't forget that the roots of this crisis are rooted in Western government's policies to overthrow progressive governments and promote the worst, most obscurantist, brutal type of leadership, all to make sure they maintain world domination. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.